listen to me. Trader, I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 13 on Ninja Dragon and Rings Untouchable and for review this Lucky 13 episode of the Golden Ninja Podcast. A card game of wicked accents leads into a Shanghai set 1920s... 1930s uh, slash modern ninja adventure with the ultimate duel being between Richard Harrison and Bruce Stallion. Fun with Cut and Paste and Godfrey Ho in Ninja Dragon? Well, you'll find out what we think soon. And in the second half, IFD goes robo on us after perhaps sneaking a peek at Filmark's prior epic adventures involving flimsy robo suits. And that comes in the form of our review and discussion of Rings Untouchable. And, uh, that is all delivered by me, Kenobi, and uh, with me, back from his cinematic pilgrimage, I suppose, in Turkey, is Neon Harbors at Glacier. Welcome back. Merhaba. How's it going? Picked that up, or that was loaded into your vocabulary already, whatever you said, which I suppose, suppose was hello. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was Turkish for hello. And uh, yeah, I, I took about, uh, I took like you know, 15 short lessons in Turkish before I left just to learn a few uh, important phrases. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, well, f- thankfully you didn't call me Hello Kenny B, Mr. Poopy Pants. No, I wouldn't even know how to. We, we, we'll get to the rest of the contact information because uh, listeners might be curious, even though they know sort of uh, in general what went on during your trip because you documented it yourself, but there was some news coming out of the trip that uh, was picked up by more than just your friends. So uh, let's uh, throw out your plugs uh, to the world first and uh, I'll uh, ask you a question or two about your Turkey trip. So Neon Harbor, what is it and uh, where is it? Um, you can find uh, more about myself and the films and web series and stuff that I do, including Ninja the Mission Force, a comedy series that sort of spoofs the sort of stuff we talk about here on this show at neonharbor.com. I'm also on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor and Facebook at Facebook slash neon harbor. You have, um, uh, you're infatuated with Turkish cinema and do it for work and also, I assume, do it for pleasure as well. Watch movies just because it's a good entertainment. So uh, the Turkey trip in short, well, was it as special as you thought? it would be because your mind has been there you know research wise and watching the movies and uh, having that you know entertainment injection in you and so was it as special as you sort of uh, conjured up before in your mind or was it more oh yeah i mean easily or or more so uh it was spectacular because i had the chance to meet a number of uh the filmmakers and stars of the industry's heyday including the director of the turkish rambo and turkish star wars was that all set up uh, beforehand um, more or less. Um, I did a lot of that through my friend and colleague, Ali Murat Gurven, who is a um, film historian uh, in Turkey, and he knows a lot of these guys. And so he was able to uh, set a lot of that up for me. And uh, Chetin Ananch was uh, an absolute sweetheart. He is uh, the coolest guy to talk to. I spent most of the day with him, um, went out to a kebab house with him and his wife, spent another almost entire day with the Turkish Batman, uh, Levent Chakar. 
Yeah, and he's amazing. He has way more energy than he should for a man who's probably somewhere around 70 years old and has killed him, had nearly killed himself multiple times through uh, lots of crazy stunts that he had to do for films. Wow. Does that mean that uh, Turkish film industry and their players, you know, veteran or, well, well we're talking veteran ones uh, from uh, older cinema, are, are they approachable? Are they easy, easily found? Or is that work that your colleague and researcher has sort of uh, set up the groundwork for before or what's the deal in terms of approachability over there um uh, my understanding is that they seem to be pretty approachable regular guys uh, a lot of them are, are retired so i think they have a little bit more flexibility in their schedules but um i i couldn't tell you for sure because um a lot of w- the meetings that i had were kind of set up in advance or at least through someone else if not in advance yeah well it doesn't seem like the industry where you need to go through uh uh, other people, you know, managers and agents, and then uh, make it a bureaucratic hassle to even uh, to even have a meet and greet. Uh, so right, no, uh, it was very casual. Well, very cool, very cool. And I mean, uh, in in short, we, you've talked about it obviously because there was a news uh, news uh, after the trip about this whole thing. But so, so I won't ask you to repeat all of the stuff. But was the finding of the Turkish Star Wars film print a complete? accident as one day you were visiting someone's cinema and their collection of film cans or did you know something was up beforehand i was i was walking down istiklal street and uh, suddenly i spied a, a little shop on my right that i swear was not there the previous day and there was an old man who gave me this print and said do not feed it after midnight no no actually it was uh, almost exclusively unrelated this was a print that um my that same colleague ali murat Gurven, um found Originally, he found the only surviving film print of Turkish Star Wars, uh, thought completely wiped out except for bootleg VHS tapes and so forth. Mm -hmm. He found it in the collection of a projectionist who kept it after screening it, uh, lying to the the distributor that, oh, it was damaged during projection, mm-hmm. so it's in terrible shape. And the studio said, okay, well, don't send it. Oh, the, the production company said, okay, don't send it back. And uh, so Ali Murat... Uh, bought it and he was thinking about doing some kind of restoration work or release work in Turkey and just found that it wasn't doable there and uh, um, decided to uh, let it go and I said I want dibs and <laughs> so I I bought the film and I'm working on getting it uh, scanned in 4k and and restored and viewable in at least some form to the general public. Excellent. Well, that was a lovely, lovely piece of uh, news that uh, was um, sort of extends your um, love, research, infatuation for the genre that the the universe starts sort of aligning for you. Like, like it's a good karma. Like you've done so much good for Turkey. Here's a good thing for you. You have to pay for it, but it's a good thing for you. It was one of those things where. You know, uh, Turkish Star Wars was one of the first foreign remake films that I ever saw, and it was kind of uh, kind of blew my mind that in the space of about a month, I got to spend a day with the director and also hold in my hands the only surviving film print of the film. And I'm glad it all seemingly was kept uh, in a suitable condition and all of that. Uh, like it, it wasn't covered in chicken crap or anything like that. Or no, 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 no. The end. The, the color is is very um, is very good, and there are many worse prints out there. So mm-hmm. I'm 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 very excited about it. Well, let's uh, let's see what uh, like like no one is uh, banging on your door in terms of like developments and uh, deadline and a release date and crap like that. Like you have 
you have uh, not eternity, but uh, you have time on your side to do whatever you deem uh, suitable and possible to do with it. And we're looking forward to whatever developments um, come out of it. So very cool. Thank you. Very cool. Uh, but uh, as for the rest of uh, the contact information for this network, this is the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows on, among other things, uh, Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, spacey cinema, in this case, uh, ninja or robo cinema, if you will. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again exclusively for the website. If you have any questions or feedback, let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. And for such a niche show, where we're a niche network, but this is a niche show compared to some of the other shows we have, and a niche subject. I've said this before, but I'm very happy to say it again. This type of topic and content, Ed, brings out more feedback and more extensive feedback than most things we do on this network there's a certain core group but it's a small fandom and so that that's the core i suppose but they have a real infatuation and passion for this kind of stuff and i've, I've we've i say i we've gotten some positive remarks uh, sent back to us uh, for our work so as silly and sort of uh, maybe only two people like this shit then <laughs> they're the ones doing the show as as silly and small as this fandom seems to be it it lures out the best in people i think uh, they really like this stuff uh, like you read about them most i've seen some crap but most are very uh, good-natured about it that's fantastic i'm thrilled so um so let us know podcast on fire at googlemail.com or if you're on social media follow the handy buttons to it at the top of our website you have uh, the facebook button that will lead to our page there's also a link on that to our discussion group we are located on twitter as well so just click that button and if you're an itunes user subscribe rate our show leave a written comment and finally click the stitcher radio button that will lead you to their website where you can stream all our shows on the network but you can also download applications available on the apple app store and google play that is all uh, free so and i write about among other things these uh, type of uh, ifd and film cut and paste movies over at sogoodreviews.com my video hub for uh, basic spoken audio video reviews is sleazykvideo.com and my twitter handle is at sogoodreviews and we're going to take a break and play some stolen uh, music. I think it was this movie, or the second movie, I don't remember now. But uh, you can, I think you're going to hear an extract from uh, the Morricone score for The Thing in, in one of these breaks. Because I think I spotted that when watching uh, these movies. Uh, but uh, the musical break, at, uh, at the very least, will uh, signify that uh, we are reviewing Ninja Dragon in 30 seconds or so. So sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back to the first movie up for review in this episode of the Golden Ninja Podcast is Ninja Dragon from 1986 and plot from my review of the film. Gordon, played by Richard Harrison, has his close associate Ron from the other movie, assassinated by rival Shanghai gangsters and businessmen. He seeks revenge on them uh, on his own. Uh, main goal, uh, the only one he can really target, being Bruce Stallion's character. And uh, Bruce Stallion is also known as, I think his real name is Paolo Tocha. 
the char- uh, his character is uh, Richard Harrison's uh, goal and uh, his henchman as well. He has a death list in this one. And then while in the other movie, he also enlists someone else because he can't be in the same movie as him. And in the other movie, he enlists Dragon, played by Taiwanese actor Chang Kuo Chu, to do his bidding. And that's uh, the dark trap footage. That's the name of the source movie. I'll have some info on that in a short bit. And anyway, after Ron is uh, assassinated, uh, there is a power shift in the other movie as Phoenix, played by Lee Li Lan, steps in as a leader and the family's lifelong enemy, Fox Chan, played by Miao Tian is trying to divide up and take over territories violently so that's uh, sort of the gist of it all sounds complex well we'll we'll, uh, get into the review and see if we found this coherent or not but brief source movie background just uh, first of all it's been identified and i'm sorry if i don't have the um, man or man who identified it but it has been identified as the 1982 gangster actioner dark trap from taiwan Directed by Lee Wing Chung of uh, such tasteful entries in his filmography such as Rape and Die and The Cheeky Chap for exploitation movie and a kung fu comedy. Uh, but he also directed a rather cool Michael Chan Wai Man vehicle called Dress Off for Life where he plays a boxing psycho. That's not the... Is that the one with... Um, that's often known as like Rocky's Love Affairs or uh, City Ninja or something. I think that's a different Michael Chan movie, but I'm I'm gonna do an editing point now just to check for sure because I know City Ninja. I know it wasn't your uh, pal, <laughs> the guy you interviewed, Andy Chorowski, in in that. Yeah, he was. Uh, I, f- I think that's a different movie, but uh, but having Michael Chan as a boxer in any movie is not a far-fetched thing being a martial artist and stuff but here he's uh you know he has mannequins in his apartment and i think he talks to them maybe has sex with them as well so it's uh, okay yeah of... totally different film but now i need to see that one <laughs> it's a it's a goofy uh one i suppose and i said taiwanese they, they, this might be a hong kong movie too so again i won't confirm it and say state of fact but regardless it is dark trap according to people who have identified it but let's move on to whole whole affair ninja dragon uh, ifd and dark trap combined and uh, let's air some brief opinions first of all so ed in this rewatch of ninja dragon what did you think of it in short this is i think one of those ifd films where the source movie kind of outshines the ninja stuff and i wouldn't say completely because the end fight's pretty good and the intro sequence the opening credits is actually really terrific sort of a ninja dual demo kind of thing set to the music of uh the anime film dagger of kamui again <laughs> you said that before so they, they they found that movie and they stuck to that they, they found something to like in that movie like you read about at least music wise yeah and it, so it's it's fantastic but um uh, I find the uh, the gangster stuff rather compelling and uh since otherwise the ninja plot is just a death list kind of standard it, you know it just doesn't it's not as very sporadic let's just say mm-hmm. that so yeah um I, I sort of agree it's a good to decent decent example of the ifd formula it was shot when they were still trying uh, they were not adhering to a tired default content in they do but not fully but later on they would in in their scenes that would tie themselves to a source movie it would be awfully standard as uh, as the years went by harrison and his ninjutsu i think gets outsmarted and outacted but mostly outacted by paulo toka who is a hoot in this movie (laughs) yes he has the best anger tantrums uh, in this movie which is uh, something you'll hear uh, in the sampled audio that I'll play throughout the review. And and the original uh, Gangster movie has a 
fair amount of decently gritty and uh, violent scenes. So um, and and it is quite basic, so it's uh, it's easy to follow, and uh, the whole product is a decently paced one as well. So uh, interest all round. I think it's a decent recommendation. You you mentioned the opening, and I mean you you got to single it out. It was made when IFD still fought cinematically a little bit, uh, where we see this ninja demo in a stop and freeze type of uh, style. We see the performers, the movie pauses, we get credits, then it resumes and all of that. And I mean, th- this was a staple of Kung Fu movies that you might know at, uh, you know, demonstrations against a, a green background or a red background, whether oh, yes. you would see this content at all in the, in the movie or if it was just, um, if it was just, um, you know, semi-related demo or what have you. You know, think Snake and Eagle Shadow by uh, the Jackie Chan movie. And, I mean, he does that style that would uh, happen later in the movie. Uh, So that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. And I usually love that stuff. uh, But I can't remember how common it was out west to do a themed intro like this. So uh, do do you remember anything in the west? uh, And and also, in general, how do you think... uh, Godfrey Ho does, uh, you know, with uh, uh, with this sequence. Does he set up the movie well, <laughs> maybe too well? Like the movie can't respond to this quality? Or yeah, I mean, yeah, I think maybe that intro would have done better in something like Ninja Terminator, where it had another themed intro, but it was just of ninja weapons. Yeah, no, I really like it. I don't think that that's that kind of thing is common in the West, but I do tend to see it a fair bit in kung fu films. Yeah, so I I haven't seen like the whole canon of you know, Chuck Norris movies or the canon flicks that uh, involved this Actually, stuff. now that you mention it, uh, Enter the Ninja has a whole uh, demo sequence with Shokasugi uh, against a black background. Okay, okay. I've seen that and um, have a second movie, but for some reason I, I, I didn't rem- remember it fully. There's some other wonderful stuff in those movies that for some reason I've uh, shown uh, uh, that memory. So, so yeah, I mean, that tracks back to IFD's inspiration to go into ninja territory with their movies uh, from the beginning anyway um, yes. with, uh, looking at uh, what effect Enter the Ninja had on had on the world so I, I say when IFD still fought c- cinematically I mean there was still sort of life in the in the IFD formula and it's early on in their life so um, that's sort of my personal take that there's still a little bit of cinematic flair in what they're doing is that something you can recognize that they're trying a little bit more to shoot some varied stuff rather than samey stuff movie for movie yeah I mean you know before they just got like all right we need to turn out uh, six fight scenes and maybe 30 seconds all right done go yeah there is not even a skyline opening here Right. Yes. The, the the Hong Kong skyline standard stock footage nonsense that they would do later on or sometimes around the same time because Ninja Dragon looks like it was done around the same time as, say, Ninja the Protector, which did have one of those skyline intros. But still throughout the movie, Ninja the Protector, they still think more, they try more uh, yes. than, than uh, latter movies, you know, especially as... Richard Harrison got more and more tired. You can also see that Godfrey Ho or whatever director was calling the shots wasn't necessarily trying to find new paths into this formula. They had a formula. Let's let's just crank them out. Uh, so, um, but you know, it is fun in its own in its own right. But I'm always fascinated how different the earlier movies can feel. I mean, there's even full Chinese names on the print here. You know, so we, which is something they just discarded completely and made up the most ludicrous 
Western names to go with a Chan or a Wong and things like that. And then we even got a Black Ninja here versus uh, the stuntman in the camouflage, which is Richard Harrison's uh, character. So it's widely different. Ed. It's, so <laughs> it's, it's full art. So there you go. Speaking of full art, uh, we got a little mini United Nations in Shanghai gathered for this opening card game. And when I say that, it's a wild mixture of accents and uh, quite wonderful as they drop the exposition on us, dump it on us. You know, what's the conflict? Uh, what's the uh, what's Fat Ron doing to these uh, other players' uh, casinos and uh, crap like that? And it's not filmmaking of the highest order, obviously. But still, what's your thoughts in general on uh, this opening uh, that involves a card game, out of all things? Hey, Michael, how's it going? Not so nice. That fat bastard Ronald forced me to sell him my two goddamn opium dens. Fat Ronald? Too ambitious. He's a partner, Gordon. He's a tough American. Oh, it's it's wildly ludicrous and, and totally wonderful. They're all sitting around in a conference room, each with a, a little tiny flag of their nation in front of them. And it doesn't really necessarily matter that they're all international, but uh, there they are playing a game of poker. And Richard Harrison saunters in with his French buddy. They uh, they play a round of cards and talk about various business deals that they're doing through Richard Harrison's bank. Uh, Harrison plays one round of cards and then is like, "Well, I won. I'm, I'm out of here later." He's go he's gored on the banker ninja. Ed. Yes, exactly. He's and it's it's fantastic. There's and there's some really ludicrous dialogue. You have um, the I think Australian guy who's like, "I'd never leave Hong Kong. Too many women." And <laughs> to which Paul Otoka responds, "Ah, oh, yes." I had one last night. Wonderful. I don't want to die yet. Too many women here. <laughs> I had one last night. Oh, wonderful. Paolo gets the like the wildest, almost Cockney-like accent as well, yeah. which is wonderful. It's it's comedy gold, and but also it's it's love that love with kind of entertainment. You know what I mean? It's uh, because I, I know IFD were kind of had a relaxed stance towards their product. No one was is claiming here that this is art or anything. Gordon, I want one million next week. All right, 20% interest, plus your properties as collateral. You're kidding, Gordon! Yeah, but but with such an onslaught of accents, it's a fun setup. Conflicts, I guess, are established, and they gotta finish Ronald first. And uh, and uh, Stallion's man, or Paolo Toca's man, Fox, will do it, because he can't do it himself, obviously. <laughs> Enter the new movie, and... Uh, the the movie the the original um, not new movie old movie for heaven's sake the original attempts a uh, it's certainly not a happy go lucky movie and therefore it attempts to be violent and edgy and gritty and have that kind of atmosphere which I personally appreciate so how does that sort of uh, gangster aura that they depict here work for you I mean did is there a compelling nature to the to the violence to the gore the lead up to violence because we have a sla- like a knife throat slash in that first scene or what do you think tell i'll arrange for ronald to go to the barber shop my man fox will do the rest yeah i think i think it's very effective and i think that sets it up kind of from the beginning what kind of film that we're getting and it's it's very much a godfather-esque kind of film um but you know a little bit more taiwanese i, I was confused about one thing and maybe this is just my brain not working properly as usual it seems like it's a period effort. 1920s Shanghai, 1930s Shanghai. I can spot 70s costumes in there, in the original footage. I don't think it's intended to be period, but I tend to find that there's a 
certain timeless aspect to a number of Chinese, Hong Kong, Taiwanese films where you can't totally place, is it now or is it uh, earlier? But I think there's cars and stuff going on here. So, And IFD certainly didn't care if it was whatever period it was, obviously, because their characters appear in uh, you know their normal uh, normal everyday clothes as well. Right. Yeah, I, I can really. It didn't. It didn't disrupt anything for me because I, I'm used to IFD not giving a crap about that stuff. If you just think back to uh, that uh, Kickbox of a Champion or whatever, which had some uh, mixtures of eras and uh, Ninja Commandments, obviously takes place over several decades, but the ninjas sort of don't age at all. That that's just what you have to have to accept, I suppose. Uh, but but the original Hong Kong and Taiwanese movie, it's uh, competent looking, but it's it's usual gangster stuff in a way. It looks like that anyway. I I don't see a particularly deep or affecting gangster movie in the flashes we get from it because obviously we don't get the full one. But um, from that era, I mean, I don't know how much experience you have from it, but from that era of Taiwanese and Hong Kong, the sort of atmosphere was always very. Um, it was a bit more angry and intense in the early 80s uh, in terms of violence and in terms of almost how intense they shot their movies, you know, whether huge zooms or just huge audio outbursts and uh, like loud stings and what have you. And uh, I, I, I've i said that before, I found that, find that period, especially from early Hong Kong, the very compelling that there's some early like Choi Hak movies like before he did the likes of Sue Warriors from the Magic Mountain and Peking Opera Blues and what have you some earlier movies are just totally just of the angriest order he did a movie called Don't Play With Fire which uh, who's him uh, uh, the, uh, the, the IFD leading man that came after Richard Harrison what's his effing name Bruce Barron was in uh, Don't Play With Fire so so I, I think Dog Trap it's all, I almost automatically like it because I like that loud, itchy, gritty feeling of uh, of it. But uh, you know, if I saw the full movie, it might not play out as more than standard but competent-looking gangster movie. But it certainly uh, it certainly uh, does the job. Um, you know, it it doesn't spare us from the ugliness of that world, which I think is uh, uh, rather compelling, actually. So it's not uh, a very glamorized uh, view of uh, view of matters. Ronald is dead. We were lifelong enemies, and now he's food for the worms. So I'm here today to pay my final respects. How do you think uh, IFD uh, interacts with the original movie a few times? Well, not a few times, they do it a fair amount of times. But how do you think uh, Richard Harrison's scenes with the other movie and uh, the Paula Tocha scenes with the other movie, how do you think they work in terms of maintaining the illusion that this is totally one movie, as I always ask? There, you know, a couple of them work okay. When Richard Harrison comes in to the at the pagoda or park or wherever it is and talks to Dragon and kind of sets things up and does the, uh, you take care of the gangster family. I'll take care of the international connections. Uh, all right, let's go on into our separate movies. That you know that was okay. Uh, and then there's another scene later on where Polotoka has doing a firing range kind of thing where he's shooting bottles and then his last shot hits the buckle of one of the characters from the other movie and it's clear that like whatever was happening in that scene originally was basically the same kind of thing so they just kind of swapped out an original character for an IFD insert and I think that works rather well 
I think so too because it's a quick sort of insert. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you can almost do it uh, without the audience completely noticing. There's some stuff in Majestic Thunderbolt that I thought worked very well. There's a f- uh, final duel between the two characters in Majestic Thunderbolt, but Richard Harrison is there as well and actually fires off a round that then determines the duel in the original movie. It's sort of quick and then we're out of the IFT footage. I think that's sometimes clever to not let that run for more than a second or so as they as they interact with it, with each other. And I think that initial scene where at um, the garden setting or the pagoda setting, it works quite well because, well, the original footage meant that IFD had to vary up their shots as well. They couldn't have Richard Harrison standing against one background the entire time because the character he's talking with, so to say, is moving. But it still did the job, I think, uh, by IFD being forced to vary up their shots. At least on the video version we watched, the change in film stocks wasn't evident at all, really. I think uh, it sort of bled into each other well. And uh, so they were still uh, doing a good job, uh, doing a good job, injecting themselves into it. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it. It never fails to get me that, you know, it's the decade of the ninja. Let's shoehorn ninja into any story, including this story. And let's just sell it and hope people have fun. And that's what they do because, you know, you watch the gangster movie for a bit. You get the beats of it and you see Gordon every now and again. But then this is also a ninja movie for a little bit. I mean, is that a good thing for the movie to just inject it almost forcefully that, hey, we're in, we're ninja too for 30 seconds. So what did you think? Ed? Does this add or detract from what you were watching? I, but I, and the thing, I think the problem is that it's not even particularly compelling in its own right. And I would say compare this film to actually, what was the, I'm going to pause for a second. What was the other film in Ninja the Protector? Because I've suddenly forgotten. It, it's a sort of a, a Taiwanese melodrama. That's the melodrama one. With, with, okay. uh, with the guy being undercover as written, but he, he goes undercover as a model and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, he's not really undercover, yeah. Compare this one to Ninja the Protector from probably around the same time. And the, the two plots aren't particularly well connected, but at the same time, the ninja stuff has its own strong thread of investigation and, and fun scenes. And it's a lot more than Richard Harrison fights a guy cut back to the original movie. Damn it. We fail every time. There must be a mole. Check all your men. Yeah, this is minimal. Really, really minimal. Um... There, because after a while, it's just the regular, you know, watching in a broody manner uh, his various photographs of the four or five guys he needs to take out, which is usually the same. At least two of the guys we've seen in prior movies on prior death lists and things like that. The Kong Do turns up here, and uh, Shun Kwok Ming does as well. So you could just swap them out from other films. Very much so. Like it, it's not reused footage, but it might as they, they could have. They could have, and, and they certainly did, as uh, the IFD. Although that reminds me that there is a conversation scene near the end of the film with Richard Harrison and somebody else from from the IFD footage uh, that is reused in, I want to say it's Ghost Ninja or Diamond, Diamond Ninja Force. They do reuse some of their own stuff. Yeah, it's good economics, and Richard Harrison looks sort of similar, <laughs> you know, at, uh, as long as the facial hair is there, then they, they didn't care too much about if his hair was dark brown or or blonde after spending a, a few months in the Hong Kong sun. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's fun with the way they break it up, but I, I wouldn't say that it adds 
to the movie but but at the same time it's so short that you uh, that you sort of forget it I, i'm more interested in more paula talker footage we get uh richard harrison sort of goes through the motions and uh, you know throws darts on his uh, death list um, victim and there's a 30 second ninja fight and now we're out that's standardized but uh, paolo uh, makes this, this movie worth it thanks thanks to some anger tantrums later in the movie going back ever so slightly to uh, the original hong kong or taiwanese movie as i said it's a it's a violent sort of dangerous time and that's translated to audience through that uh, through that atmosphere and uh, because it's been tightened as well it's been edited as well to fit the ifd footage it has a nice sort of brevity feel a brief feel to it all uh, they, they sort of cut it down to the very basics because if you think back to the movie Ed, at least the first half of the dark trap footage is just constant assassinations and uh, gunplay and uh, violence and no one really stops to interact and uh, explain the drama or anything so they it almost seems like they tightened, tightened it ever so slightly to just fit the stuff that's moving you know, the violence and uh, and uh, the plot developments concerning that, which uh, is is appreciated uh, sometimes uh, because it, it might have been super boring uh, during stretch the original movie. Who knows? I haven't seen it, but uh, I, I love by the way the amazing suicide that one of the gunmen in the dark trap footage uh, uh, commits when he bashes his own, his own head in against a rock rather than being caught. He just bashes his head against the rock a few times. Over ground, it looks like almost. <laughs> yeah, and that happens again later on, more or less, with a character who who kills himself not to disfigure himself, but just bashes his head against a stone, and he's dead. Which, I mean, man, he's got some he's got some neck strength or something. There you are, life and death of a gunman. It gets you nowhere. It's no good. Why do you do it? It's dedication to to the cause. Like, can't be caught, so just find find anything and uh, and uh, bash your head in, and there we are. Uh, but I, I love the first little death list uh, victim, uh, Kong Do. I don't know if you recognize Kong Do by now, but he, he's in, you know, obviously tons of IFD movies and film movies. But uh, I might as well ask if you have any notes about the ninja slingshot that Richard Harrison uses against Kong Do. I think my note consists of ninja slingshot and about six exclamation points. Well, what I would put six, six exclamation points after is the fact that Kong Do literally doesn't move an inch after being hit by that. He just looks over his shoulder and do nothing. That's so metal. <laughs> He's not affected by that at all. Well, it's, it's apparently the ninja equivalent of slapping somebody with a glove because that's the indication that a duel is about to start. So get ready. <laughs> and it's over, it's over so quick. Like he's polishing his uh, gun or something. And uh, it's over so quickly that it's almost useless. But thankfully, the ninja slingshot and the fact that he doesn't face Kongdo at all is uh, totally memorable. But uh, again, it's an example of Godfrey Ho. By the time he gets to these scenes, it just goes through the motion. And we cut back to the original movie because it seems like they were more interested in, in the original movie. And, and for good reason, I suppose, because it's it's fairly strong. Do you think the original movie, based on the plotting that IFD structures together with their own ninja footage, uh, do do you find it interesting all throughout, coherent all throughout? Uh, because I I have some problems with coherency as the original movie gets into the final third and what have you. But uh, what's your take on that in terms of coherency? No, I I was able to follow it uh, without too much difficulty. I think there might have been one or two times where something is in process. And I think, oh, I didn't know that, that these characters were doing this now, or we're back here. But um, otherwise, I kind of figured out, okay, who is who and who is betraying who, etc. Mm. 
the, the only character I kind of got lost following was uh, someone who at one point is s- slapping this woman he's actually in love with or some crap like that and he keeps pouting throughout uh, up until the end of the movie, he's kind of uh, carrying resentment to oh, so one of Benny. one of the ladies, Benny. Yeah, and 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 I yeah. thought his story was number one, not very interesting. But I lost track of what was truly going on there. So I think that was my only point where coherency dropped. Uh, you know, that was the only point where Dark Trap veered away from being super basic and started to actually feature some character drama, if you will. Yeah, I, I liked I liked the Benny character, and although and also if you listen very carefully, Benny is voiced by Andy Shrovsky. Oh, really? Who, the guy who does what's a ninja from Ninja the Protector, but uh, that wasn't that wasn't the the main reason that uh, I liked the character. I thought that he was on the one hand his thing is that he's pining after the the sister of the woman who's in charge of one of the the gangs, one of the the clans or what have you, and um, he's kind of an asshole. And you kind of see over the course of the film how much that's true. He ends up being a more important character than anyone thinks that he is going to be. Uh, and I thought that that was kind of cool. Uh, he's also he's also responsible for totally blowing um, the cover of somebody who's a spy. The, the character is a jerk, but uh, I think he's a really important one. Like that uh, confrontation in the, for lack of a better word, uh, maybe tea house or restaurant where they're not uh, supposed to bring in guns. And as a matter of fact, someone has planned to plant a gun. You know, uh, the Fox character is there and uh, the Phoenix character is there. And and I think that that's that's rather cool filmmaking because uh, there's a tension to this um, the way Dragon character I suppose uh, draws his gun faster than the uh, the henchman of the fox character and we had that brief slow motion moment as uh, he draws faster than him. That's rather, I mean it looks simple it's not revolutionary at all but I think the the atmosphere and the loud soundtrack and just the um, the grit of it all uh, totally works for me. I think that that's a decent little cinematic sequence from the original uh, original makers. All your casinos are gonna be under my protection. That doesn't seem very fair. What if I don't agree? Well, you don't have any choice. None of this is disrupted by overly goofy dubbing either. So I think uh, in terms of the dubbing in the original, anyway. You know, you know, we we talked of the goofy accents uh, early in the movie, but uh, in terms of the dubbing in the original, they sort of know that they can't uh, make it goofy, <laughs> you know. And thankfully, they didn't bring in a variety of accents for for the original, unless my ear was tuning that out as well. But uh, that's my memory of it all, anyway. That uh, it uh, kept it serious, so and it kind of deserved it too. I think uh, it looks like a decent uh, flick. That's um, that's uh, interrupted by ninjas every now and again, but also interrupted by <laughs> Paolo Tocha or Tokia, both interacting very seamlessly with the original movie. You know, he has a towel on and he's standing against a, a wooden wall and he's talking to the fox character who's in having a massage or whatever. I think those scenes combine very well. But uh, I love, <laughs> I love his genuinely sincere frustration as things go wrong as gordon is messing up his plan i mean you'll hear this sample in the in the show listeners but uh, <laughs> i love little outbursts like god damn nothing's working <laughs> god damn it nothing's working i lost black tiger and red panther and now gordon has disappeared I, and i just love that it's such it's so sincere man it's almost like 
it's so real. It almost so real and so sincere. Like nothing's working. I yes. like do anything, guys. Nothing's working. Like everybody on the death list, they're like gone in a millisecond, and nothing's working. So I think um, Toha or Bruce Stallion, as he's credited here, it's a. It is he's hilarious and he seems to have run out of things to say at one point because he's to just to vent his frustration he doesn't like get it out so he says you get him or i'll get you <laughs> and it's and it's so lame man like he i'm out i'm out i don't have anything else nothing's working not even my my comebacks you know my hardcore bad guy comebacks it's working he's having so. a very bad day gordon it was gordon all the time Ming. You get him. You get him. Or I'll get you. Yes, boss. I think it's a, a Politoka scene where they're having this conversation about him versus Richard Harrison. And I just kind of have the dialogue here, so I, I, I can't remember the scene completely. You know, one of them says, I have two aces in my hand. And the henchman or someone says, but what if he gets three kings? <laughs> and there's this kind of weird uh, like analogy speak kind of thing that tends to happen in these IFD films and I don't know who writes this stuff but I love that like everyone's kind of speaking in in analogies and metaphors yeah because they had an effing card game so we, we can be clever and use uh, yeah, card dialogue it always sounds so goofy I mean it sounds like Homer Simpson dialogue almost like I got two aces mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I got three kings dope but yeah, at one point I don't know if this is towards the end or anything when uh, when he faces off against Richard Harrison but you know someone says at one point you're so stupid my principle is to chop you down and it's either it's either during the end fight but at one point Bruce Stallion well not at one point the first thing he does as he fights Richard Harrison is to pull a gun you're so stupid you killed Fox and my men you started the war you were the winner but I'm not going to give you that chance this time. You're wrong. You don't know how to play the game. You forget an important Chinese principle. My principle is to chop you down. So we're into that territory where ninjas, they're so excellent and so confident. But it's a good idea to have a gun, actually. Yeah, of course. If you can play the uh, that whole end dialogue that Richard Harrison and Paula Toka have, you're playing the game of death a uh, whole bit because that is just, that's gold. You must use the Chinese against the Chinese. You're playing the game of death. Nonsense. You are going to give me back every piece that you took. Unless you die a ninja. D- that is cool. And in terms of the action, I mean, it, it's so brief. But, I mean, there's flashes of, again, putting the acrobatic uh, stuntmen to good use. And uh, it's it's entertainment, entertaining ninja stuff. I mean, the, the ending has the more extensive usage of it, I suppose. But... It's still hard for me Ed, to remember tons of highlights in terms of action. It, yeah, Richard Harrison runs up a wall at one point in one of the Death List uh, fight scenes, and that is, that is about it. I mean, the the, the dog trap footage, the, the feel of it, is something that stuck with me more. I mean, does it all make it one of the best uh, IFD products? I mean, no, it's not the best, but there's pretty solid sourced filmmaking from elsewhere and the addition of ninjas this alien element to this entertains quite decently i mean um, compared to later movies and even movies around this time they could be super vague in the storytelling department they could even be boring while you wait for the ninja stuff but i found this to be a like a balanced product that would work for ifd rather than some of the products that just 
when you started to watch them you realized that it's pretty dire and i've seen most of this stuff before like there's not enough fun in certain movies but there's plenty of fun here even though it's not my main favorite so i i do have i do have a, a continuity related question which is something that yeah i know right which like you could probably have a million of them but this one's pretty large Nin- ninja commandments have about a million of them <laughs> yes throughout the film richard harrison uh is fighting bad guys in his famous camo ninja suit um, as seen in Ninja Protector and Ninja Terminator and a bunch of others. Anyway, uh, but for the last fight, he's in black. I don't know why. I want to know why. I guess it was in the laundry. Or they have, hadn't yet fallen in love with the glittery vest, uh, yellow ninja suit combo. So they just stuck to what worked in the canon films, I suppose. I, well, yeah, but like he's, and he's in a camo ninja suit for most of the film. Why isn't he in a camo? a camo ninja suit for the final fight well I'll ask richard harrison i'm sure he's keen to talk about all of this oh yeah of course <laughs> uh yeah that's a that's a question for the ages that's uh that's uh pondered out uh but uh, i i have uh, drained all my notes man so uh, anything else uh, you want to conclude with i would like to have a bit on this show where we talk just briefly uh recap any of the music cues that we recognize because it tends to come up a lot and i invariably end up making a note of it uh, because it's interesting to me to see what kind of soundtracks they they lift or songs that they lift for these films. And there's no way in the world that we're going to be able to catch them all. But when some of them strike us... You mentioned a couple of things throughout this series. Um, I, I might have mentioned this all fair, but there, there is a cue from the uh, Ennio Morricone score, at least I think it is, from uh, from The Thing earlier here in Ninja Dragon, that uh, distinctive... Dum, dum. Dum, 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 so it, it's not this huge like recognizable score uh, as soon as you hear it but that that's in here but my ear is so goddamn bad for this stuff i mean if i were a bigger or if i'd listened or if i started listening to tangerine dream uh, my my bell would probably go off tons of times because i remember john charles when he uh when he did uh the taiwan noir show we covered a couple of ifd movies with full there were full Taiwanese movies, but it was their soundtracks, and they used Tangerine Dream left and right, and uh, scores from uh, from that that they provided for movies. Uh, you know, not just from their from the CDs and stuff. But uh, oh, interesting. But uh, apparently that was uh, that was a favorite, so they didn't uh, they didn't uh, use Morricone all the time, or anything or anime all the time. Right. But uh, yeah, I needle drops, as, as, if you yes, will. Yes, exactly. That's, that's what I'm not as good at, but uh, good at. But uh, if I notice it, it's uh, it's going in there. So um. this one had uh, Dagger Kamui, uh, obviously, and then um, which is one of my. I love the track. I love that track in general. Um, I've never actually seen Dagger Kamui, but I love that music. Uh, and they also use a substantial uh, amount of music from Tron. Oh, well, well, you should know. You've done your research on Tron and Korean Trons. <laughs> Yes, I guess that's true. Uh, well, excellent, excellent. Well, um, th- that all makes it problematic to release these movies. You'd think, anyway, because they, these do get, you know, they do get released on official DVD. So, um, and then therefore, as for availability, it's out on budget DVD in the UK, featuring a cropped uh, to a full frame uh, transfer. That um, you, you can still buy this for peanuts if you just go to Amazon, uh, Amazon UK. I've, I've heard there's a recent Italian DVD that came out but it still featured either that transfer 
or a variation of the cropped material. So it's no use if you want an upgrade, I suppose. But what we watched is the old widescreen VHS from Greece that uh, I think I bought it once upon a time and a friend uh, transferred it to DVD-R for me. And uh, it, it's actually a Greek cinema print. So this actually played... Uh, in in the cinema and uh, it you know if you can't get it i think it turns up on ebay every now and again but if you can't get it it's out on the torrent forums and i'm happy to say that i or rather i don't mind saying that i, I don't mind this stuff being shared because are you gonna sit on this stuff man i mean that doesn't ben- benefit anyone so i'm um, even though i wasn't the one to put it up i'm happy to see it uh, see it shared and uh, it's it's rather cool that we finally see some of these movies that they promise in the trailers coming soon to this screen. Well, on Greek VHS, sometimes we saw what was on the screen because that's the genuine cinema print from from Greece uh, in English, of course. But uh, that's uh, that's rather cool, and we get it in full scope too. There's another DVD that's from I want to say Tango Entertainment that is probably full frame, and that might be the one that I that I originally bought. And I think that's I think that's available in the states, um, but probably not. Probably only used. I don't think it's in print anymore. And I think if you just want want to test the movie, then uh, spending a few dollars or a few pounds on it is uh, on, on a crop transfer is not the most horrid way to uh, to to look uh, to view these movies. And and sometimes these budget DVDs had very good quality the, the prints were very clear and sharp but cropped so sometimes the wide versions were lesser in quality in terms of sharpness and stuff but uh, that is what we watch so if you can't track it down the greek one definitely definitely do that but for now let's uh, put ninja dragon to bed and uh, take a break and listen to some music wherever it's from whatever movie it's from i didn't spot anything i recognize and that music is regardless from rings untouchable ifd goes robo in 1990 after perhaps looking at the film for inspiration as they put out some robo-tinted movies robo vampire vampires alive and revenge of the vampire as we've talked about before but uh, we'll talk about how ift does when they're going full robo on us so uh, we'll see you after the break And welcome back in the second movie up up for review in this 13th episode is Rings Untouchable from 1990. IFD's rare adventure and dip into Robo, going full Robo or sporadic Robo on us. But it's part of their kickboxing, boxing era. So it's uh, it's not a new era as such. But uh, regardless, uh, plot from my review of the film, Jack, played by Nick Brandon, is a boxer or that also is taking enhancement drugs as part of his journey to the top. Generating hallucinations of a robotic opponent, he is resistant to the idea by that point and walks away from it and into being a drug dealer instead. Caught after a botched deal, him and Axel are prisoners together with Willy from the other movie. Willy is serving a life sentence after a rape and murder charge, but Jack is uh, planning his escape anyway. Through violence and riots, the trio all escape uh, the confines of the prison and into lawless life with unsettled scores. Separately, though, because we're dealing with two movies. Now, you say his name is Willie, but his real, his full name is Wilfredo. 
which is maybe the best name I've ever heard in my life. I was about to say, I think I heard Wilfred in the movie, but as a matter of fact, I should have heard what you just said, Wilfredo. So uh, they're on a roll, name-wise, still, even in 1990, uh, as this is uh, reported to um, have been made in 1990. But the Source movie, uh, first of all, for this cut-and-paste robot kickboxing high adventure, is from the Philippines, and it's called Puga or Puga directed by Jun Gallardo. And uh, I gotta give a thank you to uh, Andrew Levold, Jeff Goodhearts, and Jesus Perez Molina for helping out identifying the movie because I didn't know that at all. And the cinema from the Philippines is certainly not part of my exploration as a viewer anyways. I mean, has that in any way for entertainment's sake or research's sake uh, been a part of your exploration watching Filipino cinema every now and again? Yep, every now and again. It's uh, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about it, but uh, I have seen a few films, including some remake films like Alias Batman and Robin, um, along similar lines, James Batman. It can't be that good, right? Or is it a matter of fact that good and more? No, uh, Alias Batman and Robin is pretty good. James Batman is not so good. Uh, I was more referring to the, to the latter one. That sounds amazing. Like James Batman on Batman. James Batman. But uh, alas, no. Uh, but I, I, I've encountered some Filipino movies uh, since Hong Kong actors and filmmakers took to the Philippines after a while. You know, uh, so uh, Philip Kofei made uh, movies over there. Yukari Oshima did as well. But it, it was never really a step up necessarily. I mean, it had a little Hong Kong flavor, I suppose. But um, action-wise, it felt, and budget-wise too, it felt like a little step down. So I wasn't inspired to pursue more. If you want to see some really, gra- really great, some really like really fun action movies from the Philippines, I recommend the work of Sirio Santiago, who did a, lot, a number of films in English mm-hmm. um, in the Philippines. And there's one in particular called Future Hunters, which it's like if you don't have the time to watch a lot of films, watch Future Hunters because it is like ten different action movies in one movie. And there is in fact a whole like Hong Kong kung fu sequence in it. But then there's also Amazon Warriors and Mad Max and I mean and Indiana Jones and like every kind of action movie that was popular it's in this movie. <laughs> Is it like space funded kids like assault on your senses like everything in one? Uh, a little bit except that there's a there's a consistent plot like it's all part of the same film but uh every 10 minutes it kind of jumps to a different genre. Uh and it even features uh some uh, it even features some American actors including Robert Patrick of Terminator 2 fame. Uh, Rings Untouchable, uh, as for my brief opinion, this was new for IFT, which makes it fairly fun. Sometimes even as they paced it together with the 1980 movie, even somewhat competent. But it's not drastically like hidden gem status or anything, but... I found it to be um, fascinating, sort of technically, every now and again. They did they did all right in terms of cutting and pasting themselves into the older movie. Uh, but uh, that's my short opinion for now. What did you think in short of Rings Untouchable? I agree that the cut and paste stuff was actually done really well in this one, but I found it to be a bit of a slog, particularly the whole middle section. I just kind of wanted to sleep through. Yeah, the, the Filipino movie, it's not a, show, a great showcase all throughout. Essentially, as we'll get to, the prison movie. It's pretty good. Then when they break out, then it turns into what I was sort of expecting. Uh, them running around sort of village-bound locations and some semi-urban locations and and uh, doing some robbery and some action. Uh, not a whole lot of effect there. But uh, if, we, if we're going to make up um, a theory here in terms of the robo aspect, I mean, 
is it do you think fair to say that <laughs> that IFD looked over at Philmark and saw their infatuation with their particular robo and said, "Well, let's do it ourselves. We both did ninja. We both can do robo." Or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess, but if they did it, they did it with even half-heartedly. I think would not be a fair statement. Like one eighth heartedly, because the robo character is in the film twice once at the beginning and once at the end and that's it and it's not even real no he's a hallucination it's like they didn't even care but but we get a fantastic opening where like you you'd think that this is going to be through and through like this amazing character because on their boxing ring set we, we get you know this uh metal well, metal literally but uh like heavy metal intro to it and it's like man versus robot this is going to be awesome and it looks better the suit looks kind of better and then we find out obviously that this is a, an hallucination but I, you know as a setup we talked of the card game setup man versus robot boxing fight setup uh, is, is that an awesome indicator for the movie or what did you think of the, the sequence oh yeah i mean i wish they could deliver it on that for the rest of the film because it's it's not interested really in um in it it really isn't interested in the robo aspect at all because it's almost casually injected for the beginning and the ending well these are what the enhancement drugs do and uh, well i'm not going to be a part of it la 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 into being a drug dealer and uh, then uh, almost uh, <laughs> it's hilarious how it comes back into into the movie by the end i think it's so hilarious how it's forced on the character and then it's sort of forced on us as well. Oh yeah, Robo at the end as well. Let's just feed the drink to him and set him <laughs> set him on, onto his mental adventure. All the things in your nightmares are just illusion. Just take the injection. This drug allows you to explore your deepest power to destroy. I can guarantee that. I suppose it's part of that free-for-all thinking both at IFT and Filmark that we should just pursue anything. That's a stupid idea. Let's do it, man. Can we build a robo suit that looks sort of sort of good? No, I don't think so. Let's just do it. Do we have enough money at the offices to sort of film our own stuff? Yeah. Let's just do it. Like anything is an idea, it seems like, at uh, Filmark and IFD. You know, kickboxer from hell. Kickboxers and Satan. Let's just do it, man. And in a way, on a base level, I kind of, I, I kind of admire that. That uh, they seem to want to pursue anything in the name of uh, the intent of making fun celluloid. You know what I mean? Like it, it would have been boring if they kept it super serious all throughout these uh, ten years or so they were making these kind of movies. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I have a minor sort of admiration for the free for all nature to these movies, and including some of the bits in this one you know what i mean yeah I, I just wish that in this one that they actually ran with the idea otherwise i suspect that what they were doing was they were putting that in there so that they could put it on a poster if they wanted to for uh alternate marketing yeah, and it's exactly what they did obviously with uh, putting uh, uh, nick brandon and uh, the robo on the poster making us think that it's going to be as extensive as robo vampire which uh unfortunately isn't the case uh, because Robo Vampire, the majority of the footage, as you might remember, listeners, was made by Filmark themselves. Therefore, we get a lot of flimsy Robo in uh, in that one. We said in Ninja Dragon, like the cutting back and forth, old movie, uh, IFT footage, fairly seamless. Uh, here, no. <laughs> I mean, they, they cut to that sort of village uh, sequence where I guess Wilfredo's girlfriend is uh, killed or raped. I don't even remember. Doesn't seem like they're trying initially, right? In terms of mixing and matching. Like before the prison sequence, 
it's almost too obvious, I think, uh, that it's a super old movie and uh, that they've given up on trying. Well, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's not until the the until they're all in prison when it starts to become seamless. Indeed, because uh, I I sort of feared that this would be uh, another, and I'm sorry, this is my fault, but uh, another sort of village-bound, boring time movie in style where they're all running around in their own casual clothes and shooting shooting at each other without any sort of cinematic flair or style. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that in the Catman movies, for instance. The Source movies are not what drives the Catman movies. Because no one will remember the Thai footage from that one. You remember the Catman footage. So uh, I was fearing that that uh, it would have no like appealing low budget grit or anything. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm right though. I mean, I love my low budget trash from Hong Kong and Taiwan, but uh, you know, from Thailand or the Philippines, it, it doesn't get me going. These sort of more generic action pictures. I, I mean, if I find some crazy exploitation movies or that has more color almost automatically by being you know supernatural or you know erotic in nature what have you that would get me going because um it just sort of fits my cinematic tastes if i will so they also does a mix uh sort of uh the filipino outskirts with the hong kong outskirts as the drug deal happens as they cut back and forth that day it doesn't really match very well but well maybe the drug deal isn't memorable as such but uh <laughs> the the language and the dialogue is I, I, i'm not asking you to quote it but when you sort of started realizing that ifd is in, is having a super angry profane character that is about to deal drugs with uh, with jack i mean did that pick up your spirits after after the initial uh, after the initial sort of uh, view of uh, puga and then uh, when, when they cut back to this drug deal Oh yes, that was he. That character was my favorite. Fuck the time's up. Not a sign of those fucking bastards. I mean, he he should have been in it uh, more, I suppose. But um, they they him and Parker they they share uh, they share a great little it's a, a great little double team of uh, angry angry dogs, I suppose. Uh, it fits the connection. Uh, we, we can connect these movies, uh, Ninja Dragon and this one, because it features sort of angry, frustrated characters and um, and very game actors too. They're very game to just be over the top and what have you. But uh, come on, motherfuckers! I don't believe this. How can I do business with them? These motherfuckers have no concept of time. Fucking time is fucking money. I hate to wait. Let's discuss the prison sequence. It really is the best part of the movie in terms of IFD's work and I think uh, the Filipino movies work does the movies feel like one here in the prison scenes uh, or at uh, or at any point the post the prison sequence as well yeah it, this is I think I have some of IFD's best work in in inserting their own footage into an existing film uh, through set design or set choice costuming shot choice etc they match the orange uh, orange prison uh, prison where Axel and Nick are you know, on one side of the cell as uh, Wilfredo enters it. And even though the footage is a little bit brighter, I I was actually quite impressed. But also, and I don't know if you noticed this, because of the fact that they don't do this once and then not for 20 minutes again, but for a stretch, there's a lot of back and forth. You know, IFD Philippines, IFD Philippines, IFD Philippines. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I thought that was rather compelling, actually. They took on that challenge of, uh, you know, focusing as editors and and filmmakers uh, for for a stretch of the movie, not just focusing on a couple of shots to match. But but Axel and Nick are kind of adorable characters. (laughs) They're they're, they're pranking each other, man. (laughs) They're they're, they're sort of enemies out of a drug deal, but they're pranking each other. 
in the um, in the prison scenes. Uh, at one point, uh, Jack I think is doing like push-ups or sit-ups, and Axel is placing a rock underneath him, like, like a stone underneath him, and he feels feels that with his yeah. back. And he almost they almost start fighting like like Homer would jump at Bart. You know, why you little? And I just, just strangle yep. him. He even says, like, why you little on the English dub track. Uh, every time they start fighting, something else happens in the other movie to catch their attention, and they start watching that. You want a girlfriend? <laughs> My dick can't get up for those guys. I was wondering about that. <laughs> it's a, I think it's adorable. They're a fun little team. I mean, it, you have to become... You have to be game as an actor, I think, and not take what you're doing seriously at IFT. Not all people might get that. And they sort of just go go with the flow and um, and do it automatically, almost on an automatic gear. Like okay. I don't think like Bruce um, Barrow necessarily broke out as this sort of fun IFT presence uh, Stuart Smith did, but I think these guys, it looks like they get it. Uh, what do you think, Ed? In terms of that? Yep, I agree. If they had cut this film down substantially uh, to say like seventy minutes or less, and cut out most of the original film stuff keeping in as much as possible of the IFD footage, I think you'd have a really fun flick. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Uh, sometimes I wish that IFD would have uh, tampered a little bit more with uh, running times rather than sitting there counting uh, up until the 90-minute mark and then, boom, the end. Yeah, with the ending card and what have you. Granted, this movie has an ending credits sequence, you know, an ending credits scr- uh, scroll. So, uh, so I don't know if it actually passed 90 minutes because of the fact that there's no the end, boom, you're done, go home. Maybe some, maybe they they were thinking like we should be like proper movies, or someone made a mistake. Uh, and Joseph Lai wasn't watching like hey 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 when our movies are done, they're done. I did I didn't expect it that they would uh, try and create a buddy sort of atmosphere, and it it amused me for a little bit actually being uh, being surprised. Could could have been super serious like oh I gotta get back to my boxing man. Yeah, I think the the buddy stuff was very successful. When we get back to, I think it's it's Steve Brettingham's character, the, the the very sweary character, I think, and we meet him later in the movie, and he hires, I'm not sure, the guy who looks like a computer programmer, and I'm sorry if I'm being, being dismissive here, but the, the guy with the glasses that uh, Steve Brettingham brings into his office, it sounds to me like he's either an assassin, or that is uh, sort of responsible for hiring assassins, but it's a wonderful example of random IFT guys, super random yes. guys looking for a bit of job, and you're an assassin now, you know. And uh, even I could have walked onto that set, therefore, and just, well, am I an assassin? Well, I'll walk into my clothes, I save lines with Steve, and I walk out. I've been an assassin. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah, exactly. So it, I always, uh, it's always amusing by the, the randomness, sort of uh, the, the come and go with these uh, these guys. Okay. What the hell's going on here? It was nothing. Nothing at all. I fell off my bed, you see. A bad nightmare, huh? You're asking for it, asshole. Any uh, thoughts on... Uh, if we're still in the prison sequences, uh, there's some fight sequences here in the original ones, like like some fisticuffs, some... Uh, some not some boxing, but some fighting. Uh, any general thoughts in, in terms of how the Filipino movie depicts its violence and action does it have any impact any any punch literally as uh, these uh, guys uh, fight back and forth you know i can't say it made a whole lot of impression on me um it usually isn't the kind of thing that does especially in i don't know the the more generic kind of action films i did enjoy the prison fight sequence where 
the some of the prisoners had hidden spears in brooms and just took off the the bristle part and were using spears to fight the other guys. That was neat. It does really have to be mentioned again that the main highlight is within the prison sequence that lasts maybe you know fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, and uh, it has really like well done select shots, like even a breakout at night where Brandon and Axel are fleeing from gunshots. You know what I mean? Because you see like spotlights hitting them and. Uh, Little explosives going off into the, in the grounds, uh, signifying uh, that uh, they're being shot at. While the breakout is happening in the other movie as well. And I thought it, it's one of the better, as we said, the better examples of that this is coming off as being one. It really uh, impressed me up to that point uh, while they were still together. But then what happens? That, well, why isn't it as interesting after the prison, uh, prison sequence uh, is done? Once the prison sequence is over, we're seeing a lot of um, Wilfredo doing sort of standard, I'm a crook and we're going to do some bank jobs and I want to get away with my girlfriend. And I, I don't know, it just, it's just so bland. It's really bland. Yeah, there's certainly nothing to connect to, right? Because it's it's not, characters doesn't make an impact either. Like romance doesn't make an impact and therefore it's hard to care for what's on the line. I mean, I, I think I think one of the things that it, one of its major problems is that although the footage is integrated very well between the IFD footage and the original footage, the plots are not. And mm-hmm. so the only plot that I'm really interested in is the IFD plot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, after they break out and have some, uh, again, some very immature and profane sort of verbal comedic banter back and forth, uh, uh, Brandon and Axel, it, they, they become friends and then he has to get back in, in the, in the, into the ring to to get money for Axel, who's been injured by that point, or crippled by that point, I don't actually remember, but... Uh, if you have a sister, we can open up a brothel! I know you, you just want to fuck all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let's cut the bullshit. We gotta get some new clothes, so we can go to town. I, I do love that uh, their sort of comedic banter is uh, so, so openly explicit. Uh, they bond over jokes about, they talk about someone's sister, and they talk about like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open a brothel when I get out. Well, you just wanna fuck all day, and uh, well, I'm gonna open a bar. Why? Uh, well, I'm gonna open a dancing bar. Maybe you can find a wife, and then they go <laughs> with each other. The fact that they continue that thread, I think, is adorable. I just do it. It's it's more than I expected from IFT to try and I don't know create some kind of subpar 48 hour style banter here <laughs> I just say that because like, they have got a black character who's called Axel Lady Murphy Axel Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Cop 48 hours da, da, da. <laughs> Nick Nick Brandon Nick 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 Nolte 48 hours black guy Axel <laughs> you know IFT could make connections uh, in a far-fetched way I suppose I, I just saw a little bit of attempts at echoing Eddie, some kind of Eddie Murphy body cop thing here but, but why a bar? You know, the dancing girls. And hey, maybe you can find a wife. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good idea. Jack! Uh, the boxing scenes, uh, the kickboxing scenes, well, they're not great. But we get some okay touches here, like, uh, like repeated head, head kicks that they create in editing. Cutaways to reactions outside of the ring, like the, the character of Parker, which I guess is another owner of a of a stable of fighters you know you cut to his distraught face seeing his fighter lose and then having you know a very profane piece of dialogue delivered as he exits 
I'd like to point out that in IFD's boxing ring set, they have a boxing ring. It's the room is black. The you know walls are black. And in the audience is a single lawn chair and nothing else. And that's the chair that that Parker, the uh, the boxing promoter or whatnot, sits in. And he's wonderful, isn't he? Like, uh, talk about a performer that is uh, on. You know, he's asked to be angry and aggressive and curse a little bit. And then he goes, shit! Indeed, <laughs> and then just exits. Shit! Therefore, it is decent, I think, because it has its share of very game actors that make me kind of smile. Sometimes they were random IFD guys, not up for the job of sort of uh, punching through the screen uh, like uh, like that guy does. Never seen him since. You know, he's not familiar to me from from either camps, IFD and Filmark, uh, Filmark camps. But uh, yeah, so Parker is a big yay, uh, definitely. And, and then he goes on a you know he goes on a sort of a rocky thread, I suppose. You know, got to train. You got the training montage. I don't know. It didn't feel desperate as such to sort of. It's not well done to sort of start injecting a little micro rocky with a looming robo at the end. You know, we know now it has a looming robo by the end, but. It's entertaining enough because it's these characters and I'm happy to be away from the Philippines by this point. I guess that's why I like it a little bit more because the Puga or Puga is so secondary. And post-prison, that that movie is just low on coherency and care anyways. I guess that's why I like the little micro Rocky that we get eventually and Puga sort of peters out. And, uh, you know, even even main characters die and we don't care. So, like, we care to get back to the ring, I suppose. So... You've seen a couple of these uh, kickboxer movies by now, you know, including Kickboxer from Hell or what have you. I mean, is it at all fresh and original coming from them or the robo aspect? It, it's not enough, really, to make it that much different from the kickboxing output. Or if you think back on your your um, impression of them up until now, including this one. Sure. Here, So I really actually enjoyed the final fight sequence um, because once they introduced the, the robo element of it, it cuts back and forth between seeing the robo as part of his hallucination and then seeing the actual Kevin, uh, the character Kevin, who he's actually fighting. And they do a really terrific job of switching back and forth between those sort of perspectives using a number of techniques, including some jump cuts, like some matches on action and then even some swap outs out of frame so that it feels continuous the entire time but you're seeing the character shift very much so i mean it's not it's not perfect uh, sometimes characters in the background disappear in the following shot but i, I agree because it's done in motion right they're not static shots and that, therefore you have to line it up a bit more carefully i suppose and i, I thoroughly agree that it it was done through some careful editing and also it, it is entertaining the way we even get the robo for the final. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about that for a moment because uh, so it's the drugs that cause the hallucination, and he's done with drugs, and and uh, Jack is uh, done with drugs. He's gonna win on his own terms, man. That's right. Uh, but the evil promoter is uh, because he has money on this, wants to make sure that he gets the performance enhancing drugs so that he is sure to win, and so his evil German scientist puts the the drugs in his water bottle. Yeah, he's German as well. I forgot that. <laughs> yes, with a terrible accent. Uh, puts the drugs in his water bottle and, sw- and swaps out his water bottle. But here's the thing, is that 
Jack is getting his rear end handed to him by Kevin constantly. There is, it seems as if the, all of the training he went through is not doing any good. And it isn't until he gets the drugs in him unknowingly, but until he gets the drugs in him that he's able to win. The moral of the story, especially as the drugs seem to have no other side effect except for hallucinating a robot opponent, is that drugs are awesome. As long as you do it for your friend, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like you can you can train and whatever, and you still probably won't be good enough. But you know what? Drugs are great. <laughs> but the best part is how it's not like he continues to sort of drink it and then it starts working. But Parker plays a part of this. You will fight my boy now. If you win, I'll help you both. If you lose, you'll go to Colombia as slave workers. Like, because he gets frustrated. And just takes it from the German scientist, like, give me that. And just pours it down the town Jack's throat, like a, a, a good yeah. mouthful of it. I got money on this. Like, I'm, uh, I'm going um, to be proactive and do something about this. I think that's just wonderful. Uh, and it fits the character, I suppose. Parker's uh, tired of sitting idle and seeing his uh, dreams, uh, financial dreams crushed, I suppose. I don't know what the deal what Was Axel like? crippled or it's just sort of uh, beaten up and uh, in a bad state yeah because they have this tag team fight against this kind of bolo knockoff axel doesn't fare so well and so jack has to come in and and finish the fight which i'm not sure how that works or how that counts but uh, there's a lot about the way that these boxing matches are set up and bet upon that make no sense so i didn't I didn't worry about it too much. Yeah, there's even like endless amount of rounds. Uh, that's one of the rules too. Uh, but uh, the ref states like as when someone is down for the count, regardless if it's the 12th round or first round. Uh huh. And there's no audience. There's just a lawn chair and the promoter. Not even audience sounds on the soundtrack. They kept it quite quiet, I suppose. Uh, so no like uh, audience in the dark or anything. Well, no. I, yeah, I think it's very clear that there's not supposed to be anybody else there. It's just him and his lawn chair. It's it's a nice you know, you know we get two glimpses of Robo and that's that's pretty pretty great. I mean, how's the suit by the way? Like, uh, did you did did you make any determination of how the suit is and what is the suit? Yeah, well, it looks like it looks like Sam from my film Press Start. Uh, yeah, they they've clearly got sort of an all chrome kind of uh, lame sort of sci-fi suit for the guy. They put on some a little bit of armor. Um, some very thin sort of something that's supposed to be kind of armor that's strapped around that's painted the same color. And then there's a silver motorcycle helmet with um, something that obscures the uh, the visor so you can't see through. It's it's not flimsy though, so I'll, I'll, I'll give it that because Phil Marks obviously as great as it is, the um, future warrior and also the uh, whatever he was um, in the Revenge of the Vampire. Those were flimsy creations, uh, a little flappy, but uh, this one seems solid. It's the it's the helmet and the and the um, sort of shoulder pads that kind of make make the flimsiness because otherwise it's just it's just a fabric suit in both cases. Well, well you can't fight in it. You need to fight in it. So they yeah. they, they they made a logical choice there rather than have this cumbersome thing that uh, that you couldn't move in. So yeah, I guess the, that's the that, that's the nature of the whole, whole verdict. I, it's neat every now and again. The impressive every now and again. But uh, does it match the expectation that we sort of maybe irrationally build up in our heads? Not, not certainly not, but it, it adds some flavor that I'm not uh, dissatisfied having uh, experienced twice now. So, uh, but uh, as far as I know, we never saw um, saw the hallucination again. 
this is a one-time deal for IFT, but uh, if there's another Robo movie from IFT, I'm happy to uh, explore it, but this is, as far as I know, the only appearance of it, so there it is. Any final notes, my friend, before we put this one to bed? Music? Uh, I only caught one, um, but in the bar, you can hear an instrumental version of Tainted Love. I think I heard it subconsciously. I'm not trying to like, oh yeah, me too, but now that you say it, it's one that's like, was it? Nah, probably not. <laughs> it, because it, it uh, didn't stop the movie and sort of focused on it. But uh, I think I heard it. I might have heard it. Well, I might have heard it in another IFT movie. So so as for availability, I'm, I'm not sure there's a, an English language VHS or DVD uh, that exists outside of the one we watch because we watch like a VHS version with Spanish subtitles, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously it's been on VHS in some part of the world, either Sp- Spain or in uh, in South America, possibly. But uh, so go online and hunt for that, whether you get an original or not. I mean, we have to rely on um, an online version of it. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's what we have. But it, it looks and sounds okay. Uh, sometimes like audio is muffled on these uh, versions. Uh, you you don't know sometimes. But uh, looks and sounds okay. And I'm not even sure the original movie was shot in widescreen. It looked uh, like it might have been uh, a one free free framed movie, and therefore it might not even be cropped at all. So. That is it. So uh, we shall uh, go back to the ninja think tank, if you will, and see what we can come up with next. I don't have these uh, episodes uh, mapped out as such, uh, but uh, we'll see what uh, we should dip into. Like, uh, for some reason, just spontaneously, a ninja in the killing fields pop up, pops up in my head just because it's a Stuart Smith film movie. It's not a very good one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I recall that one being kind of dreadful. But... It has the frogs at the end, so we might as well do an episode on it uh, by the end. Like, uh, Louis Roth turns into frogs at the end <laughs> during the ninja end fight. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll see what we come up with. And hey, if you have any suggestions, listeners, then uh, be sure to let us know. So we might as well uh, finish this one off then. This has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are available on podcastonfire.com. Make your choice over there. We have plenty of choice, uh, choices and shows with a variety of uh, topics. And if you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Follow the handy buttons to our social media at the top of our website, to our uh, Facebook, to our Twitter, to our iTunes feed. So you can subscribe to us, rate us, and uh, even leave a written comment. And also follow us to Stitcher Radio, where you can stream the entire network. I write about these uh, ninja movies, these vampire movies, these various cut-and-paste movies, and a variety of other genres over at SoGoodReviews.com. And my video hub is SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And you got the final plug, Ed. Uh, any, um, any plans for Neon Harbor for 2016-17 uh, in the works that uh, you want to hint at or keep under wraps? Um, sure. Well, the um, uh, there is Turkish Star Wars stuff coming, of course, and um, I hope to have some more Deja Vu episodes in the future, which is uh, the series that I do that focuses on foreign remakes of popular American films, like Turkish Star Wars. What was the uh, episode where you uh, featured some footage that you shot in Turkey that could be incorporated into uh, into the uh, episode? You 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 filmed maybe with an actor or a director, I believe. There was uh, yeah, I did one on the Turkish Tarzan, and I had an interview with uh, uh, director Kunt Tolgar um, that I shot while I was there, and so that that is up on my site right now, and I hope to incorporate some more of that kind of footage in the future. Um, a lot of it still needs to be translated. So um, I have the information, but not necessarily a, a 
complete translation of the interviews. So it may still be a while before I can get the full use out of those. That's a coup, uh, regardless. Like uh, that added to that episode. Wow, from the original makers. Yes. Kind of feel to it. Like your research is excellent, so you always give give the movies a voice. But uh, that was still a coup and a half, my friend. I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, it's that's the whole idea is I kind of want to get as much of the original voice in there as possible. Why why these were made, how they were made. It's not so much about the content of the films and you know is it good or bad or something like that. It's like no no no. It just these films exist and they're fun and crazy and weird and why why do they exist and what brought them about which is you know the sort of stuff that we kind of talk about here but there's so there's so little information you know about uh the the making of ifd films and in particular films because they were they were a factory i've always had an attitude as well that as much as i can i want to give movies a voice and and sometimes bring forth the attitude that it may not be always likable but there's a story and context to be told that is part of my fascination for it all. Like, I don't like everything that we talk of on this show. Right. But there's as much stories and context as we can bring that is fuel enough to to actually uh, do the work on them and pursue uh, the work. So I, I very much agree. Like, uh, with Turkey, it seems like you can dig up five thousand percent more stuff than any i like ifd and film movies combined so that's cool for that series in the meantime you can see the existing deja vu episodes as well as uh ninja the mission force and all kinds of other stuff um including the the press start film where uh, the suit that i have is kind of similar to the robo suit in rings untouchable uh you can see all of that stuff at neonharbor.com and i'm also on facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor excellent excellent well 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 and uh, as always there's nothing else uh, for us to do but to experience the wisdom and uh, the truth the the truth of life that uh, that our hero from ninja the protector uh, says at the end of that movie and that goes as follows i am the champion of the ninjas (laughs) 